Well, and, and so much of today's wealth is just being generated by high-profile people. And, and so, you know, I see that with our clients quite a bit, is that they can no longer really be out in the public space. Hello, and welcome to the very first Ask the Masters podcast. This episode of Ask the Masters has been brought to you by IPS Controllers. This podcast is dedicated to discussions around design and construction of water shapes, poolscapes, landscapes, and architecture, both residential and commercial, being discussed by leading builders and designers within the industry. Um, anything really interesting that you're working on right now that you can talk about? <laughs> I know we do a lot of NDA, non-disclosure stuff, but there's got to be a couple of things out there. That you're... Yeah, we're doing a tricky one where we got like a 2,000 square foot, um, three inch deep reflecting pond on the roof of a house. Uh, and then the bedroom is all, uh, so the water surrounds the bedroom. Uh, so it's really, it, that's intriguing to me. Um, it's, I think we're going to do it all out of stainless, um, uh, but they want it black. And so that's one of the challenges that, that I'm talking to them now is, you know, is it going to get hot? It's full exposure. Right. And they're, they're going to have some difficulties being that that water is so shallow, uh, where they're going to have like that puddle effect where the water is so shallow, it's going to be so warm. They're going to be fighting, um, all the biologicals and all those. Yeah. We do have room in the mechanical room and, and I've talked to them about allowing me to, as we shop draw the mechanical space, um, we're leaving an allocated space for a chiller, uh, just in case, because I just it's the the design aesthetic is really cool. Um, you know, the visual is going to be um, of this bedroom with all glass windows along the backside just floating on top of water. So I get the design and the reason for it. Um, but again, the, the I'm, I'm concerned that it's going to be a nightmare to maintain. Um, what are your thoughts on fire features on uh, van? I should say fire features for aesthetics only. You know, I've never been a fire feature guy. Uh, it's never been, um, it's never been something that I have really felt like I needed. Uh, to me, it takes away a little bit from the overall design, the overall cleanliness. I mean, I just, I like looking off the infinity edge and, and kind of looking into the universe. And, and, and when you frame that with fire on either sides, it, it just tends to, your eye tends to stop there. I'd rather look past it. That's, that's kind of my, what I think about vanishing edges and that whole aesthetic. I, I agree with you when it comes to fire features on a vanishing edge. I think they are distractive. Um, I'd much rather see a fire feature or fire element as a place where uh, people can gather, sit around, um, have a brandy and a cigar and they, where the kids can do their s'mores and hot dogs. And it can become more of a, um, a place where people gather, um, even a place where people venture to. Maybe if it's a hidden place off on the side where people can you know, go get away from the hustle and bustle of a big party. Yeah, even even just walking around the resort here that we're staying at, um, you know, we uh, Laura and I uh, found a nook, uh, you know, between buildings. Uh, it's all enclosed and they had a fireplace and two couches in there. It was just a cozy place to to settle down and talk for 10 or 15 minutes. And, and if you look around places like this, the fire elements are where everybody gathers and and. You know, to me, you've got the warmth, you've got the, you've got all of those elements that it just, 
yeah, it, it should draw relationship out uh, and not just as another cool, you know, add on feature. Um, and, and I think that's that's a good uh, good kind of analogy. I people like to be near fire. It goes all the way back to being cavemen. Fire bring brings a sense of not only warmth, but a sense of security. Um, but it brings in that family element where it can actually be used. And, you know, a lot of families have young kids, uh, clients have grandchildren. It's, you know, you build those, those memories around the fire with the schmores and the flaming marshmallows and, and the mess they make all over the deck. But that's, you know, part of what it is to, to build those memories. And I think the fire feature out on the vanishing edge is just, Wow, it's something to look at, but it's um, it's more of a distraction. And then during the daytime when it's off, it's even more of a distraction because it's you don't the fire's not on and it's just nothing more than just bowls or pots sitting out there. Sure, and it and it becomes distracting because you can't you know maybe if there was a way to integrate it in a very low profile way, uh, but it becomes you know this distracting element that just draws your eye to it. Like I said, I think it 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 stops your eye from seeing off into the infinity, which is the, the beauty of the, the whole design aesthetic. So what do you think about acrylic? Do you think it's uh, kind of a fad that's kind of reached its peak? I'm seeing it a lot. Whenever it comes down into like regular high-end residential uh, and, and out of the elite, uh, I wonder if it's kind of on its way out. Um, it's really... I don't know. I pushed back on it for many, many years. We're doing one right now. Uh, we're just bidding so many of them. Um, you know, I, I I tend to agree. I think it's going to oversaturate. Right. And and I think that's that's that, in fact that's a good choice of words is oversaturation. It's when we start when I start seeing so many projects coming through with certain elements repeated over and over, and it looks like somebody just stuck it on there because they had to have it. Then I start to realize that you know this is something that's probably starting to get to the end of its life cycle. And now it's probably best off to leave that for the mainstream upper middle class or lower upper class to play with. It's time for me to focus on some other things. Every once in a while, I'll get a project where somebody will want an acrylic window from a wine cellar or a gym, or it's usually more of an underwater window as opposed to a wall of a pool or a wall of a spa or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely... I think there's places where it could be utilized still and still be cutting edge and unique and interesting. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of the same going in out there and, and yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it seems to be just being forced in because it's the new, you know, what, what is it? The new glass block right. from the eighties. Yep, exactly. I, I think it, one of the things that, that I'm starting to see a lot more of um, as far as coming across in plans are a lot more clients are starting to um, embrace that whole um, philosophy of, of life wellness that Europe has embraced 20, 30 years ago. Sure. And um, I'm seeing more and more clients making requests for um, cold plunges and steam rooms and dry saunas and, um, you know, salt flotation pools in addition to the regular aquatic features. And so I'm, I'm starting to see uh, massage rooms. So I'm starting to see this whole clients are starting to embrace this whole lifestyle wellness, uh, 
awareness. Are you starting to see more of those? Yeah, um, yeah. Requests? We just finished a project with uh, uh, a whole wellness area in the basement, uh, included the gym, uh, and then uh, a fairly small spa, just six by six, uh, but flanking both sides was a, a dry sauna and uh, a wet sauna uh, and, and that whole area. And then there's an area uh, for a massage room back there. So yeah, the entire, you know, creating that home, home, um, the home spa, the home spa. Exactly. I don't mean a spa like a spa you soak in, but like the right. day spa, yep. you're creating the Zen room or the day spa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that we're seeing that in a lot of plans, uh, you know, um, Water walls being implemented in those spaces as well, just to give you that kind of zen, that that flowing water feel, even though generally you're in a basement space without, you know, windows going out to the outside or anything like that. So, um, yeah, we're seeing that on plans regularly. Yeah, I, I think that is, I don't want to call it a trend. I think that's where the ultra wealthy are starting to, um, to cocoon more uh, instead of... Um, being seen going in and out of the spa for their spa treatments. They're starting to have those, uh, those professionals come to their home. They're not only trying to avoid that, the publicity, but it's also the, the time that they spend traveling to and from uh, a place for their spa treatment. Now they can allocate that travel time to somebody else and they can stay at home and be more productive and have their masseuse come to the house or have their personal trainer come to the house. And so I see more people are starting to, um, people of wealth are starting to embrace this, bring the services to me instead of me going to the services. Well, and, and so much of today's wealth is just being generated by high profile people. And and so, you know, I see that with our clients quite a bit is that they can no longer really be out in the public space. And and so, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's not something I wish on anybody uh, that that lifestyle, uh, because you really become very isolated. You know, you're, you've kind of pulled yourself out of, you know, the mainstream of life. You can't really just go down to the local resort and, and check into the spa for the day. You have to, it has to be all private and everything. So to keep that in their house just makes it that much more comfortable and, and easy for them to access. One of the things that I'm really intrigued about that I want you to kind of explain a little bit more is this whole nano bubble um, stuff that you've been telling me about the, the, oxygen rich water and uh the, the way i understand it basically is it's kind of the the next level of ozone uh, you know ozone is great and and wonderful and we do a lot of it but it seems like the maturing of ozone uh, with this nanotechnology and i know you've got a little bit of experience with that so the the premise behind it is it's a micro atomization so the the injectors actually micro atomize the bubbles to the point where they're it's a nanotechnology and so the bubbles it's kind of hard to wrap your, your brain around it, but if you can imagine that the bubbles are so small that they're neutrally buoyant. So unlike champagne bubbles that will rise, that constantly rise to the top, these bubbles are so small, they stay in suspension. So, um, the only way that they, the, Companies can actually validate that these bubbles are in existence. They actually have to use an electron microscope to actually validate that these bubbles are still in the water sample. But the benefit of that is that because we're talking the bubbles are so small, they can actually be absorbed through your skin. Oh, wow. And so somebody floating in a pool that has been treated with micro atomized oxygen, it's almost like floating in a in one of those uh, 
the word is par- those I don't want to call it parabolic chamber, but um, hyperbolic chamber. Hyperbolic, so yeah. it's it's very similar to somebody who's floating in a you know, who goes into a hyperbolic chamber to have oxygen infused into their body to help with. Um, you know, diabetes and wound injuries and, and those kind of things. So doctors have known for years that being in an oxygen rich environment is good for your tissue and good for your body. And it isn't as aggressive as ozone in the fact that it's, it's not going to uh, promote the corrosion and some of the issues that we have uh, with ozone. Yeah. Is it, is it, basically elemental oxygen that's exactly what it is it's not it's not o3 or o1 it's and so it's a lot more stable it's it's o2 so it's a lot more stable but it's micro atomized so it's in the water now if we combine that with an oversized uv system and that oxygen is now passing through the system and passing through the uv we're creating aop on an industrial level at a micro atomized level and those, we know those bubbles are in suspension. So we're not having to inject it immediately in, in front of a UV lamp. We're actually, we're just, in, we're injecting it downstream. We're filling the water with it. And as that water passes by the UV lamp, we're getting AOP occurring in that lamp and downstream as it returns back to the pool. So for a lot of people that don't understand, can you explain a little bit why AOP? I mean, that's, that's a real buzzword that's come around in the last 18 months. Uh, and, and, uh, can you kind of explain and, and give your thoughts on some of the systems that are out there? Yeah, it's really nothing new. Um, what it is, is it's the combination of, of ozone, or in this case with the micro-atomization of atomized oxygen, with UV. And they work together synergistically with each other, and the UV light actually like turbocharges the oxygen. So it, it allows the breakdown of uh, not only pathogens, but it's also we're off-gassing and breaking down um, the things that... The, crypto. The, and, the, yeah, and the crypto, um, dealing with, um, you know, the petroleum products that get tracked into the pool, whether it's be deodorants or, or fabric softeners or uh, gel in people's hair or makeup or whatever, perfumes, whatever we're tracking in the pool that we need to break down and off-gas. So... They work synergistically with each other, and we can get to the point now where we have to keep some type of sanitizer in the water, but we can reduce those down to, you know, fractions of a part per million and just have a a PPM feeder when we see that um, ORP starting to drop, maybe due to bather load or some other environmental uh, conditions that change then ramp up our residual sanitizer when the AOP can't be the sole source of uh, sanitization. Yeah. One of the things I love about ozone uh, that, that I don't think a whole lot of people know about is it's a microflocculent too. And so it actually gathers all the contaminants and allows your filter to work better. Uh, that's why ozone is just such a beautiful option uh, in pools that it makes the water just absolutely sparkle yeah you know people that don't understand it you know at the at the microscopic levels it actually changes the uh, electronic relationship of molecules and so those particles of dirt change their attraction and they actually bond to each other so it makes them larger so that the filters can filter them out so um if you've got water where you have um turbulent you know turbidity issues and you need to get that water clear um, ozone is uh, is perfect for that. Now, 
again, we want to talk about different systems on the market. The problem is, um, is that everybody wants to do a kit. They want a simple box they can hang on the wall that plug solves all the problems. And, and plug it in, plumb it up, plug it in and be done. Unfortunately, to get the amount of residual oxygen in the water and to have the amount of UV required to create OOP requ- requires large commercial grade equipment. So this isn't something that we're going to be able to buy in a box and hang on a wall for a typical residential pool. It's probably going to be something that's going to remain for the high end markets until the price comes down. The introduction of, of CO2, um, I'm starting, we're starting to use a lot more CO2 for our pH buffering. Um, because it's a lot less aggressive. The carbonic acid is a lot, uh, a lot less aggressive. In addition, uh, a lot of our high-end clients already have a carbonic service coming to the house, dealing with their bar service, already delivering tanks of CO2 to the house. So to add a couple of tanks a month to, um, to the pool delivery is, you know, it's already being taken care of. So that's one less caustic thing that's coming to the that's coming to the house uh we don't have to store a vat of acid anymore we don't have to worry about the off-gassing um you know the biggest thing now is just worrying about the the co2 valve freezing um other than that it's uh you know it's and, and the storage of it at the at the equipment pad is pretty simple other than you know, putting it against the wall and chaining it up yeah and and the the big box manufacturers too have got systems out there uh that are you know not too difficult anymore. I mean, it's that CO2 seemed to be coming of age very, very quickly. Uh, I know Hayward's got a pretty nice system um, that is uh, that just basically connects right up to whatever your ORP and pH sensor uh, or your 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 feeder is, and and it's it's a pretty straightforward install. It's not like you're trying to, you know, cobble together three or four or right. five different items. It, it is a pretty set up system now. The other benefit of it to the service technicians is that it keeps the alkalinity down too. It, yeah. So carbonic acid tends to drive the alkalinity down. So if they're having, if you're in an area where they're constantly seeing the TA climb up, it's a great way to to keep the TA down without consuming a lot of additional chemicals. So. Oh, shoot. Sorry, Paulo. I thought I turned my ringer off. Let me check who this is real quick. Hello? Hi, Dave. It's Chuck with IPS Controllers. Hey, Chuck. How's it going? It's going great. I was just calling to let you know that we shipped our, your system out that you ordered. Uh going to be at your distributor very soon. Okay, cool. Yeah, and that's the new Vita Pure we ordered for this job, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm so excited about this one. I know it's been out for a while, but this is the first one that we have ordered. You know, I'm really – what I really like about this is it's a very simplified system, uh, but but still has so much capability. But you've really kind of created a plug-and-play system, which is really seems like a great idea. Yeah, you know, Dave, we took our, our systems that we had developed for the commercial market, took all the best things of those, and we wanted to come up with a, a more compact um package for the uh, for the residential marketplace and so what we did is we took our proven electronics combined those with some fantastic center 22 gallon a day pump head and oh, wow that's uh, a great so, pump yeah it's a really good pump and mounted all that on an abs board with a flow cell uh, comes with all of the sensors and tubing and injection fittings that are needed for the installation so it is just a it's a one uh, one box and you get everything you need Okay. And the other thing I'm really excited, you know, for years, uh, we've been hardwiring these systems uh, to, to connect them to the Internet, but you've got a Wi-Fi connection on this. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, we've uh, we've been testing the Wi-Fi and actually using it in some of our commercial products for a couple of years. And uh, the the Wi-Fi is fantastic. It connects right up to the residents' uh, Wi-Fi that they have in their home, and that provides remote monitoring for the homeowner, for a service company, the builder, whoever wants to access that information can be given the ability to do that. So they can yeah. get uh, they can get reports, they can get uh, notifications if there's a problem, if there's an alert of some kind. So it's all of the same options and all the same remote monitoring capability that our commercial products have. And they yeah, can do that I, I through, can. A, through our they can do that through our uh, through our app for iPhone or or Android. They can also do that on our website. I got to tell you the remote monitoring is one of the things that the service guys love the most. They're able to get alerts and everything. They know oftentimes before the client if anything's going wrong and they can jump out there and take care of it. It allows them to give their service their their clients such better service. Yeah, that's what we've seen, especially in the commercial market. So we think that uh, for the service guys that have multiple pools, obviously they, they need to be able to know what's going on. And like you said, they'll know if there's a problem before the homeowner even calls them. Yeah, before the pool ever gets green. So I was that's thinking right. about this the other day. Um, how long have we been together? How long have I been buying your systems? Do you, do you know that? Um, I can check here. Hang on. Yeah, it looks like the first system you purchased was in 2010. Wow. Yeah. The, yeah. The, it's been all we've been using. We have loved the system and, and, you know, we, we've had virtually no issues with our systems that we put in over the years. So, um, yeah. So really, so back to the Vita Pure, um, really the only thing that the client needs to provide on this will just be the tanks then, correct? That's right. They can get, uh, five gallon, 10 gallon, even 15 gallon tanks locally. Um, that's the best way to go. Um, most of our residential customers end up with a five-gallon tank for uh, liquid Perfect. chlorine and liquid acid. So, yeah. Yep. Well, great. Well, uh, I got to get back to my podcast here, but uh, thanks so much for giving me a call, and I'll be calling my distributor and and going to pick up that system. Excited to put it in. Fantastic, Dave. Good talking to you as usual. All right. Have a good day. See you later. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye. Uh, sorry, Paula, for taking that. Yeah. So, so the new. Uh, so the I'm new, super excited. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm really excited too. Uh, we're talking over each other. We're both so excited. <laughs> the yeah, the new Facebook page. Um, you know, ask the masters. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a good forum for um, each of us to bring our strengths to the table. Sure. Uh, you know, me on the forensic side and the code compliance side, um, and the design side, and um, you on kind of the cutting edge and. Uh, what's occurring, you know, on the um, in the trenches? In, yeah, in the trenches. Um, you know, Grant with the heavy construction, hillside construction, and concrete. Um, you know, Rick Chafee with some of these very large, multifaceted projects. Um, you know, dealing with very high-end architects and collaborating with uh, big design teams. I think it's. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a good forum to bring ideas out now. Um, so, what are your kind of expectations and things that you? Um, that you see us doing in the forum, things that we're going to do and things we're going to kind of try and shy away from. Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing, and we've actually already seen it, is is the service-related questions. And so we're really going to keep that to a minimum. And we're going to uh, – there's other pages that can do that. So we really have a focus on construction, codes, um, architects. Uh, and, and ultimately, I would love to see it grow into a place where engineers and architects and that can come and interact with – 
those of us in the field uh, and, and get a broader understanding of some of the challenges that they um, that, that their designs um, create uh, and, and some of the creative solutions that we've had. You know, we've had the Genesis Forum for over a decade now, and it has been an integral part of my maturation and, and where I have gone to learn. But the landscape has changed, and that that model, uh, people just don't go there anymore. They need to be force-fed it. And so the fact that most everybody's on Facebook, uh, we... It, we're, we're already there, and, and if we can get the engagement and get it, uh, the, the algorithm to, to get it into everybody's feeds, um, I think it'll be a place where we get really good interaction, and I'm really looking forward to um, being able to kind of give those that are there access to some of, so, you know, you, me, Rick, uh, some of the other guys who really have some solutions to some of these issues and can be, um, you know, pointing them in directions and, and just continuing to raise the bar for for everything. Um, you know, I was having a conversation today with somebody who has done uh, a number of all-tile pools and, you know, didn't realize things like what's in the TCNA about um, um, curing times and all of that. And, and so I just see this as a great place, an extension of a classroom where we can really be continuing to educate um, the entire industry. Yeah, one of the things that, that uh, you know, you're right, I would like to see the service questions be directed to some of those Facebook pages like uh, Pool Pros and uh, Pool Chasers and Pool Industry Professionals, some of those other Facebook pages that are out there. And I'd like to try and keep it uh, strictly um, construction-related issues. Um, but again, I also would like to kind of uh, limit some of the discussion to the to l- larger, broader um, issues mm-hmm. such as codes and compliance-type things and less things about how do I do this? And how do I build this edge? And how do I do my hydraulics? I want to, you know, if somebody needs some project-specific um, questions resolved, I think that's where they really need to engage one of the masters on a one-on-one or somebody else, not necessarily a master, but engage somebody as a consultant to actually help them walk through their their project. Um, you know, kind of brings me back to that commercial on TV. Here comes my, here comes my girlfriend, the, the French model. <laughs> I met her on the internet. <laughs> it's a, you know, you get a thousand, you get a thousand answers on the internet sure. and, um, you know, probably 999 of them are wrong. And so it's, um, you know, maybe somebody had something that worked in a particular instance, but as you know, these very high end projects, um, there are no silver bullets. There, yeah, there is no there is no one solution to everything, and so right. really needs somebody who can sit down and look at the plans and look at the flow rates and look at um, how far away the surge tank is and and look at surge tank volumes and. Um, I can tell you the few projects that I've looked at for for people where they wanted a simple uh, answer to a simple solution or simple question, and we're looking for just a single solution to a, an issue. Um, when I sat down with the plans and started looking across the whole set of plans, realized that there were a lot of other issues sure. that they were going to have. And, you know, that couple thousand dollars spent often saves them tens of thousands of dollars in corrective measures later. And potential litigation to, and, and, and lost customer faith. And, and, and face it, what we really have 
in all this is our reputation. Sure. And if you can't take your reputation onto the next job from the previous clients and it takes one job to go south to destroy your reputation. And so sometimes I look at that, um, you know, I still hire consultants myself. Right. If there's things that I don't know how to do, I hire somebody. And yeah, I might make a little bit less profit on that particular job, but now I have that knowledge to carry forward onto the next job. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I think that so many people in the pool industry think that they need to do it themselves and not ask for help. And I think that's, we need to kind of break out of that mold. We need to be able to ask for teams. We need to be able to develop um, a team that we can collaborate with. And, um, you know, I do a lot of consulting for, I personally do consulting for other pool builders where um, I deliver plans to them with no title block. Sure. I, I have. I don't care if if my if your names if on my the names plan. on the uh, names on the plans or not. I don't care. I'm sending them construction documents and details to help them pull off their project successfully. And whether the client sees that or not, I don't care. Right. I want them to be successful because they're going to come back to me again, and they're going to have beautiful projects for their portfolio. And, and ultimately, too, I mean, uh, you know, one of the myths that I believed. 15 years ago before I really got into true high-end construction was that everybody that's in this demographic knows what they're doing. And, and I've just found that that doesn't exist. And so, you know, the reality is, is that everybody still needs to continue their education. Um, you know, it's, it's, we all need to continue to keep learning. Um, and, and my hope and goal is that that will be, part of an outgrowth of this, um, you know, we'll continue to remind everybody what's taught in the classes and, and remind them, Hey, you know, here's what we recommend and why we recommend it. Uh, but yeah, getting into the nitty gritty of, Hey, should this be a three inch line or a four inch line? That's not really going to be the focus of what we're going to, what we're going to do there in there. I'm sure some discussions will end up going that direction uh, and, and others will have their input. Uh, but overall the, the idea is to kind of, continue the education that we're giving in the classroom uh and it's it's code based and it's why and it's the theory and everything and continuing to you know to to whet the appetite for you know coming to more of the classroom and really diving deep and and getting in and and bettering yourself well and i know even in our own discussions amongst ourselves and the masters we were having a discussion last week about plumbing in a wall and we were having that discussion and i had reached out to one of my engineers i had actually forwarded him some of the texts that we were having his conversations and he came back to me with some things that you know i learned something new Mm -hmm. um, such as the distance that pipes need to be away from each other um, three times their diameter on center away from each other which he threw out the fact that uh, even some of these stacked spa jet assemblies don't meet code because they're not spaced the proper right. distances apart. So there's there's things that we're constantly learning how um, a concrete code applies to how we plumb something and how the electrical code applies to how we install equipment. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we don't teach in the Genesis classes um, because we just don't have enough time. Sure. But um, it's making each other aware of these various codes and standards that apply to our industry that are maybe outside. Maybe we can't dedicate a whole day or even a whole class to teaching these, but making people aware that there are these other codes, other parts of the electric code that apply to pools that aren't necessarily wrapped up in, in section 680 with a little beautiful bow on it. There's other sections that apply 
you know, to things that we do. Well, I think a great example is even you and I and Rick were having a conversation. I think it was yesterday on uh, on the Ask the Master page and, and talking about how ADA standards dictate how big of an opening you're going to have on a slot overflow, um, you know, and, and I think that's part of the problem that we're that we at Genesis and as SWD masters is trying to make the the pool building public aware that um, you can't just look to the pool codes. Uh, there's so many other things that come into play. And, you know, yeah, you have to look at the American Concrete Institute. You have to look at ADA. You have to look and and they don't fit into nice, neat little boxes. But that doesn't mean you don't need to be paying attention to residential construction. But it should be we should use some of these peripheral codes as some of our guidance when we're designing things that are maybe outside the realm of the pool codes. So um, your your gap instance, um, that actually comes from doing slot drains like in decks. You know, ADA says no gaps wider than a half an inch. So I took that saying, OK, if they're limiting a half inch gap on a dry deck in a commercial application, shouldn't we use that same maximum width in a pool application? Because there's a safety reason that some expert chose that. Let's take that into uh, the residential marketplace. Yeah. One of the things that I... I'm constantly reminding myself and my team and the architects that I work with is that, um, you know, pool environments are, uh, you know, inherently they're fun places and they're places where people come to relax. And, um, you know, people are known to have a glass or two of wine and and to to expect to create a dangerous situation, I think, is almost um, exacerbated in a pool environment because you have to make the assumption that at some point you're going to have some people that have had a, a glass or two of wine or maybe more than that. And you want to go almost even overboard. I mean, that's that's something that I've really. Well, a real simple example of that um, that I see is, is that. Um Builders and designers and architects frequently frequently want to put a spa out on a um, out on a vanishing edge, and they want to put benches on that outside edge. Now, um, we've all seen people stand up on benches, and there's that, or even put swim outs out near a vanishing edge because people want to go sit out there. But if you've got a fall on the other side that's that's excessive, there really by code needs to be some type of railing up there. Now. Building departments and planning departments aren't always looking at that. They're not looking at that uh, as a something somebody's going to stand on. But you and I both know it, any kids are going to stand up on that bench. Yeah, even if the the adult that's had a beer is not going to stand on there. Every seven year old in the world, every seven year old boy is going to stand on there and climb up onto the top and, and, and look down over the side. Yeah, and so um, you know that's something that it's not in any of the it's not in any of the pool codes. But I think we could logically make that extrapolation from the building codes that, you know, there's a fall there. It's more than three and a half feet. We need to create either some something to catch somebody if they fall or we need to redesign it so we're not creating that hazard. And I see a lot of award-winning pools where builders have put created hazards by putting um, a swim out or a bench along a vanishing edge with a eight foot drop off or a 10 foot drop off or putting a spa out on a vanishing edge with, with you know, wrap around benches inside. And, you know, for, it looks great on paper. It looks great in your 3D modeling. But I think builders need to kind of um, first of all, I think we need to in, we need to improve our um, 
or knowledge of the building codes outside of the pool industry. I think we need to get more into, um, you know, the international building code, the international residential code and how it applies. And it differs in each state, obviously, um, and learn more of the, you know, some of the structural codes and some of the safety codes. And I think Rick will be a big help on that because yeah, he does a, he's a, does well, a lot a of general, and yeah, does so much, a lot of general stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, we, I can think of two recent projects where we had, where the architect wanted the Baja shelf, you know, at eight or nine inches deep going all the way out to the infinity edge. And, you know, fortunately these were very big pools. Uh, and so we were able to simply just pull that Baja shelf back and we made it three feet, six inches off of the, you know, uh, right at the edge itself. So you basically have your 42 inch barrier, which is basically railing code, you know, and we held that 42 inches back. So we've got this, basically this, this trough, if you will, underwater. Um, so, so sometimes the solution is not that dramatic either. Right. So those are some of the things that I, you know, I think I'd like to cover in, in some of the future posts are, um, you know, some of these uh, like floor slope transitions. I was just having a discussion last week in Salt Lake City with a, a architect about, um, you know, he had designed a, uh, a rather steep slope in the pool floor. And I said, well, there's a three to one slope. And he said, well, where is it? And, you know, we start digging through the pool codes. It's like you and I had the discussion where it's those standards are back in appendix G and they're buried back in the, in the building codes, but you go back to them and they're all incorporated in there by reference. So, you know, the building codes can't go through and possibly reprint every industry standard from every particular industry. So what they do is they say, we refer you to this industry's code, whether it's a gas code or fire feature code or, or, kitchen appliances or whatever it is. And then it's upon us to go grab that code and, and bring ourselves up to speed on it. So it's, uh, again, it's one of those things where I think we're going to have a, a good learning environment where people are going to be able to learn the codes and pull these things out. And, um, when I think the, the, the four of us that are moderating it right now, we bring such different, elements to the table too and so you know i may be a little more passionate about plumbing and hydraulics whereas you know grant is more you know on the the hardscape and the the concrete side and mixed designs and that and you know and then you're with all your codes and your understanding of uh, just international law and and how codes get implemented and that i mean um you know, I, I'm really looking forward to being able to kind of seed some conversations and, and really, um, yeah, I, I'm really, really excited about it. It's, it's, uh, I think it's the new age of the forum, you know, uh, it's now an online place. Right. And uh, the, you know, the, the Genesis forum, I think is still something that we should still encourage people to join because yeah. it's a place where we can, we can archive, uh, we can archive folders. We can uh, post drawings to it. We can post images to it. They, they get archived in the topics. And so, it's searchable. That's it, that's the big thing. You know, I'm not sure how it, it you can search on Facebook, but it's a lot more cumbersome. Uh, whereas you go into a forum, I think we'll still keep that and we'll still go back and reference it regularly because it's a very easy place where we can say, hey, there was a great discussion on this and, and reference back there and, and everybody can go back and search it and find it really easily. Be sure to check the Ask the Masters Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for our new episodes. Thanks for listening to this Ask the Masters podcast, and we look forward to seeing you next time.